Late Night Council is a production of Council Communications. This is Late Night Council. This is bigger. This is very big. There's definitely something here. Apparently, it's a big deal. It's all over the news. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. That's my grandpa. Well, your story is very compelling. Your chance to make history. It's pretty cool, I guess. Give it to me straight. John, you're in charge. How's it going? Did you have a good week? I had a great week. I had a very, very productive week. Had a good day in church today. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to tell you about. Welcome to Late Night Council. It's Ask the Pastor. How do I explain that? You know, because, I mean, those of you that have been listening to me for, like, you know, uh, 20-some years or so, you know, I did Late Night Council. I did Freebie Fridays on Friday. I did, I did Ask the Pastor on Wednesday night. Now I only do Ask the Pastor format, but it is still called Late Night Council. Any suggestions? You want to call them in or email them in? That's fine, you know, because, like, I get, it's, not, it's not like I know what I'm doing here. I never know what I'm doing, do I? 343 It's open line, open topic. For those of you that might be tuning in who have never tuned in before, this is the way it works, okay? Okay? I talk about everything that's important in the world, and uh, th- that may not be what you think is important, but stuff that I think is important. But you can bring up just about anything you want, but because I think that uh, uh, knowing God and uh, understanding who he is and what he's all about is more important than who you vote for or any social issue that's out there. In fact, I think it all starts with that. Whatever you bring to this program, whatever topic you introduce, I am going to give you the biblical perspective on it. I'm going to give you the faith perspective on it. And and uh, the Bible is the, my authority for which I come from, okay? Uh, and it's it's such a wide-ranging collection of books. It, it, it usually has something to say just about everything that we would, you know, want to talk about. Or it, it has a principle that we are uh, uh, guided by, those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ. And, and we hope that God calls us that, too. But, you know, I mean, if you really know what the Bible says about his end of the thing, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. And, and we have good discussions about that kind of stuff. So here's the phone number. In the capital region, okay, in Canada, in Stittsville, in Embrun, in Russell, in Gatineau, in Hull, in Buckingham, in Chelsea, in Ottawa, 343-743-90. That is the capital region number, 343-743-90. It's open line, open topic. It will be all the way to 11. And we usually go a few minutes after 11. We have been doing that because, I, you know, because I, I can never get organized. And I have so much stuff to talk about that, you know, it's hard to fit it into two hours. 343-700-4390. Now, uh, we pay for a really expensive 1-800 number that is good for all across North America, okay? So if you're joining us from far away exotic places, you know, the wonders of uh, online broadcasting. For instance, if you're, if, you're, if you're joining us from Priest Pond, Prince Edward Island, if you're joining us from Crooks, South Carolina, if you're joining us from Walnut Log, Tennessee, or Rattlesnake, New Mexico, one eight four four five six two four seven six six is your number. That's one eight four four LNC is on. 
1-844-562-4766. You can email me, but it's got to be airworthy, okay? And it has to be under six lines on my computer screen, okay? And I usually set my MacBook at uh, high definition, so get it under six lines, okay? JC at LateNightCouncil.com. That is the email address. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. You can tweet at me on Twitter, JW Council is the Twitter exchange. So four different ways to get a hold of me on this uh, delightful online uh, live broadcast. You're not listening to a podcast, folks, right now, folks. It is five minutes after nine Eastern time, July the 16th. And, of course, yeah, but all these you know, shows do go up on podcasts, and they are available to you for you to listen to at your leisure whenever. You just go to iTunes or you know, go to the website, latenightcouncil.com. They're all there as well. You can uh, download them that way. And any questions during the week and that kind of stuff, you know, we don't mind handling. But that's all the technical stuff. That's all the introductory stuff. Let's get to what we want to talk about tonight, okay? What do you want to talk about tonight? Well, I don't know unless you call in. But in the meantime, I'll feed you with some stuff. Um, Justin just keeps blowing me away, you know? And and it's not so much... I don't mind Justin. Justin is a product of our environment. I, I don't... I don't have a... I, I'm not anti-Justin, this guy didn't have a prayer growing up, you know, with Pierre as his dad and Maggie as his mom, okay? It's no surprise he turned out the way he did. What I grieve over, what sends me around the bend is how how people in Canada think this guy's wonderful and how they continue to, you know, give him approval ratings in the polls. I, I There are many times when I'm embarrassed and ashamed that I'm a Canadian, I mean, a guy like this, and you think he's doing a good job? you got to be kidding me, okay? Now, obviously, i got a biblical perspective on this, or I wouldn't be bringing it up. And, and, and usually when he talks, I don't bring up a lot about what he does, you know, in policy, uh, unless it does have a spiritual perspective to it. So whenever he talks about abortion, which I firmly believe is murder, okay, and, and please don't, you know, uh, please don't be getting bigoted on me and thinking that I'm anti-choice, anti-women, and all that other stuff, okay? It, it goes so far beyond that, okay? And, and we've had long discussions on that. I mean, I, I really believe, and you know, I can give you all the science to prove it, but nobody wants to hear the science that proves that, you know, that little baby at the point of conception is a unique individual. That little boy, that little girl, okay? Their genetic, you know, a uh, 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 framework is laid out. Their gender is laid out at that time. Uh, you know, what diseases they're going to be susceptible to, how tall they're going to be, what color the hair they're going to be, even some personality traits determined right at the point of a conception. But even people in our culture, when faced with empirical scientific proof that that's a human baby, an individual, they don't want to hear it, okay? And, 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 and I grieve over that. And I put the fault at that. Why is, why is culture the way it is? Why is culture so easily fooled? Um, and don't think you know where I'm coming from here. I lay the blame at people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. I lay the blame at what would, you know, popularly be called the church, because in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, we were given the formula three thousand years ago of you know how to how to see a land blessed by God with wisdom and knowledge and you know uh, uh, productivity, and and uh, it it, say, it states in Second Chronicles seven fourteen that if the followers of God who are called by His name, if the people who call themselves followers of God, if they turn from their wicked ways. If we humble ourselves and seek the face of God and pray, he's not only going to forgive us our sin, he's going to heal our land. 
So it's no surprise to me that our land is getting sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where we've reached, and I mentioned it just about every Sunday night, we're at the point where we are Romans 1, 18 to 32. If you haven't read it yet, you need to read it now. I keep flogging it and flogging it and hoping that you know, you'll know you be you'll uh, be so familiar with Romans 1, 18 and 32 that you kind, of, you kind of got the whole chapter memorized because that's where we're at. We're at the point now where we have turned our back on God and what you, we used to call common sense. It's not common sense any, anymore because it's not the majority of the people that think that way. The majority of people are not thinking in a sensible way. So you can't call it common sense anymore. Okay? The moral absolutes that were the foundation of our civilization, okay, our Judeo-Christian foundation here in Western culture, which it's based on, which is the reason why, you know, we have, we have done so well in every category up until maybe 40, 50 years ago. We have turned our back on the very foundation of it to the point where God says in Romans 1, he's turned us over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Here's a perfect example of it, okay? I'm looking at... Uh, uh, the title says Canadian government officials call call abortion a tool to end poverty. Okay? Abortion, the murder of little baby boys and little baby girls, is now called a tool to end poverty. An official representing Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau argued that abortion and contraception are a means of ending poverty. Development Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau told ctvnews.ca in an interview last Tuesday that the Canadian government reject, rejected the protests of a group of Catholic bishops regarding their re- reproductive health care policies. Contraception and even abortion is only a tool to end poverty, argued Bibeau, adding that the Trudeau administration wants to give women the control over their lives. This is only a tool to reduce poverty and inequality and to make an impact in terms of development and peace and security in the world. Really? I heard similar excuses used for getting rid of Jews in Germany just prior to World War II. And it was written so eloquently. In fact, the entire nation went along with the madman that was promoting that, you know? He had everybody believing that they weren't really human at all, and if we got rid of them, oh, we would enter in a new age of utopia for Germany. It's the same rhetoric that we use for the, for the, uh, uh, the millions of kids that we're killing uh, out of convenience, you know, because we just don't have the time where, oops, I made a mistake. Bebo has partly responded to concerns raised in a letter from the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, which criticized the government for its staunch pro-choice policies. Oh, really? Really? The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops is concerned. Well, I want to question that concern. I don't think they're concerned at all. I don't. I know that's pretty inflammatory, but I know because if they were, listen, if the Canadian, if the Canadian uh, uh, conference of bishop, Catholic bishops, was really concerned about where our abortion laws are and you know what our leaders are doing, if they were really concerned, they would have excommunicated Justin Trudeau, Joe Clark, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin. They would have excommunicated them years ago. Because every one of those guys went around having everybody believe, wanting everybody to believe that they were all oh, very, very devout Roman Catholics. I would have them excommunicate on the fact that they go around saying that they're devout Catholics and they go around promoting everything that their church is diametrically opposed to. Some of us aren't that stupid in Canada, okay? Article goes on to say, a self-identified Catholic, Trudeau announced in March that he has pledged 
approximately $650 million to fund abortions overseas. Yeah, it's not enough, you know, that we got to, you know, have absolute access to the ability to kill babies here in uh, Canada. And by the way, we're the only free nation in the world that has no abortion laws whatsoever. There are only two other nations in the world that have as passive abortion laws as Canada, North Korea and China. Okay. Every other country in the world has some form of restriction on abortion, some type of qualification. None in Canada. And that's 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 your government that you continue to, you know, to boost in the opinion polls. This and, and please don't lay the evil blame where it, where where you think it should be laid at the at the at the feet of, you know, liberal uh, and and conservative too, because Stephen Harper did nothing about these laws, okay? And he refused to talk about them. Don't lay the responsibility of our governments, okay? Lay it, at the, lay it at the feet of the people who keep electing these bozos. When you have a vote, you're far more dangerous than any leader because Justin Trudeau, Stephen Harper, uh, Kathleen Wynne, name your uh, uh, politician, they don't even have a mic to speak into if you don't vote for them. Okay? So this is the voters of Canada. This is the culture that we live in. This is the values that we live in. And unless we have a, 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 spiritual, a spiritual revolution... In this country, it's going to get a lot worse. Okay, in fact, it's it's getting it's getting bad pretty quickly. There's another story here. I got to find it here of a of a school in uh, in in Alberta, and and Christian schools, Christian schools out in Alberta. Depends what province you're in. Uh, Christian schools in Alberta are fully funded by the government. Okay, as long as they meet basic academic requirements, they get full funding. Okay, and usually, usually, by, uh, uh, most of the time. Um, uh, uh, the whopping majority of the time, 80 to 90 percent Christian schools in, in, in uh, Alberta score much higher academically than the public school system or even the Roman Catholic system up there. They do a really, really, really good job educating their kids. OK, well, and you might have been following this in the news. Some of you, you know, that follow this political stuff. OK, because um, they routinely outperform the rest of the province. They do a really, really good job. The Battle River School Division. I would suggest it that the name of that school division is appropriately named for what you're going to hear here. The Battle River School Division has separated itself from Cornerstone Christian Academy, a K-12 school in an Alberta town with a population of 103. Don't, that re- don't let that reflect on the, on, the, on the size of school because when they put a Christian school in anywhere, public or Catholic or whatever, in, in, in out west, you know, it can be a town of 103, but it can attract, you know, uh, students from as far away as, you know, like uh, uh, 50 miles, okay? Two-hour-long bus rides are common, okay? So anyway, over it is it has separated itself from Cornerstone Christian Academy over what the school division sees, listen to this, as violations of Alberta's Human Rights and School Acts, okay? An Alberta school board has severed ties with a Christian school after a request that the school, listen to this, that the school... Stop teaching offensive Bible verses. Okay? And it's morphed into a web of censorship, confusion, and hurt feelings, according to a school official. In other words, we're going to pull your funding because you are using parts of the Bible that we don't like. And I tweeted this story out there, and and the title of my tweet was, They're Coming After Churches Next. And I've been predicting for years it's not going to be too long if the trends continue, and I don't see any reason why they would be abating at all, okay? That it's going to, it's going to come to a time probably the next year to three years. It could be delayed a few years if Trudeau gets voted out in 2019, okay? Um, 
that churches are going to be shut down unless, you know, they preach what the state wants them to preach. It's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. You know, when there were certain churches that were preaching that what Hitler was doing was wrong, they shut them down and made them illegal. And there was all sorts of pastors that went to concentration camps because of that. Okay? And what they're using is, oh, they're and you, the rhetoric is increasing all the time. The Bible is hate literature because it calls homosexuality sin. Okay? And we have redefined hate crimes in Canada, and it's now going through Parliament right now, that if you say anything negative about homosexuality or transgenderism or anything like that, if you even say anything or tweet anything or or promote an opinion that disagrees with the state's position, that is defined as hate speech, and you will be imprisoned for it. Okay? It will start with the defunding and, the, and uh, you know, churches having their tax-exempt status removed, okay? Doesn't matter that, you know, uh, 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 Christian organizations and churches represent the largest, by far and away, the largest volunteer base for just about every social program in Canada. That doesn't matter. These people are so filled with hate and are so committed to shutting down anybody who does not agree with their opinion on homosexuality and same-sex marriage and everything else, that if even they've made it, they're turning it into a hate crime to even express dissent. So no more freedom of religion, no more freedom of speech. Forget it. That's just kind of an idea that they've got the masses believing we have in Canada, but we don't have it at all. You got freedom of speech as long as you agree with whatever the state promotes and whatever the state wants you to promote. A little bit more on this uh, uh, story out in Alberta. The dispute began last month when the BRSD, that's the Battle River School Division Board Chair, Lori Scorey, sent CCA, that's the school, an email saying any scripture that could be considered offensive to particular individuals should not be read or studied in school, which set off national media coverage and a debate about religious freedom. The termination letter that they've sent to the school says that the BRSD must ensure that any educational programming provided complies with, hear this, the Alberta Human Rights Act and the School Act. Unless those concerns can be resolved, we are unable to maintain our current relationship. In other words, you are going to comply to state-run morality, or we will shut you down. Okay? And this is the first, they're going to be coming after churches next. I'm telling you right now. And anybody, anybody who's an honest student of history, and you know who has, who has learned history from an institution where history has not been revised, because all our academic institutions now, are, 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 are so, particularly our social sciences, have been so revised to promote political correctness and so-called progressivism that our kids aren't even getting an accurate view of history anymore in our schools. They're getting, they're getting politically correct propaganda. And they're coming after the churches next. You don't believe me? Call in. Let's have at her. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. You can email me at jc at latenightcouncil.com. You can tweet at me. I would be delighted if you tweeted at me okay you can do all that stuff so many so many ways to so many ways to get a hold of the show tonight okay and uh, we're open line open topic all the way to 11 o'clock i've got more stuff that i could fit in to two hours and uh 
You want to be a part of it? Great. If not, you just want to listen to me rant and rave. If that's your idea of fun, well, you can stay with us as well. We're right back after important messages and maybe a tune or two. We'll see. i got to catch my breath. That was quite an opening. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. John, what has gotten into you? What in the world are you playing? Such nonsense. My goodness. I don't know if I could ever listen to this show again. Well, there's method behind the madness. There always is. Nothing happens on this program that, you know, that doesn't have some meaning to it. And uh, I wanted to throw that out there because I keep running into people. And this just ticks me off. Drives me around the bend. 
and and it's only it, this, this is restricted just to Canadians. Let me see. Let me look at the uh, look at the who's listening right now. Yeah, it's mainly the audience is is from Canada right now. We got some people listening in Germany and the states, but uh, 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 I'm speaking to Canadians now. I am I am so sick and tired of people who are saying, "Oh yeah, go to Cuba. It's so much cheaper." When they want to go for vacations, okay? Like, they think it's a good deal, okay? What is wrong with you people? I mean, especially if you call yourself a follower of Christ. Do you know what kind of restrictions they put on Bible-believing Christians down there? Well, here's the latest news story. And, I could, and I've been wanting to talk about this on, on, on the show for a good three or four months now. But because we've got so many other stories that, you know, that, that, that get shut, but there's new ones coming out all the time. Here's the latest one. Here's the headline, okay? Cuban pastor punished with one year heavy labor for homeschooling his children in the evangelical faith. His only crime is he did not want his kid to, kids to be part of the state-run school. He's... So they're sentencing him to hard labor. An evangelical pastor in Cuba has been sentenced to one year of heavy labor, and this is posted, okay? You can go on the Twitter feed or a Late Night Council Facebook page, and you can read the whole thing for yourself. An evangelical pastor in Cuba has been sentenced to one year of heavy labor and house arrest for defying the communist government and insisting that his children be homeschooled. International Christian Concern reported last Thursday, a couple days ago, that Pastor Ramon Regal, leader of Iglesia de Dios en Cristo, has openly stated that his decision to take his children out of the state-run schools was based on his Christian faith. Unfortunately, these kinds of repressive measures take, uh, taken against people of Christian faith happen commonly in Cuba, okay? Quite often. There are hundreds of pastors that are in prison in Cuba simply because they wanted to preach the gospel and not what the state mandated them. No threat that these people are these people are humble followers of Christ. And you people keep you Canadians that think you're getting a good deal in Cuba. And why do you think you're getting a good deal? Because it's an oppressive it's a, an oppressive communist government, folks. Well, I want to help the people that, you know, I want to help the people that uh, have jobs there. I hear them say, listen, okay, those people that have jobs there are the lucky ones, okay? The whopping majority of Cubans, okay, the people that are getting rich are the government, and you're just making it, you're just making that government more powerful to, to keep oppression alive in Cuba. I mean, come on. And I get ticked off because I've met Cuban pastors. There's, a, there's Cuban pastors here that got out, and they're, and they're ministering here in, 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 uh, uh, even in the capital region here. You should, hear that. you should hear the horror stories they have of you know, trying, to, trying to even minister in a way that you would think is totally normal here in Canada. Why do you think people risk their lives to get off of that island? I mean, if it's such a wonderful place, how come the rest of the Caribbean isn't beating a path there? The only people that are beating a path to Cuba are rich, ill-informed Canadians who are smug and, you know, uh, justifying this great deal that they're getting. You are supporting a communist oppressive regime when you go down there. You want to argue with me on that? Oh, I dare you on that one. I've got brothers, okay, brothers in Christ that haven't seen their families in years in Cuba because of the, because of the regime that's in power there. Well, there's been reforms. That's window dressing. That's window dressing to fool dumb leaders into thinking, you know, that they're getting somewhere. Those people know how to con Canadians. 
Sometimes I think Canadians are the easiest to con people in the world. I really do. I could be wrong. It's a political statement. But I don't mind sharing my opinion. I mean, just for the sake of... I mean, if you're a follower of Christ, just for the sake of the work of God. And if you do go down there, at least smuggle some Bibles in and see how free it is. Oh, yeah. You really think you're doing a good work. Try getting some Bibles in there. You'll, you'll, see what, you'll see what you face there. You may not get off the island for a while. And if you do attempt something like that, make sure you know where the Canadian embassy is there. Because you may have to, you know, take sanctuary there once they find out you brought Bibles into Cuba. 343-700-4390 is the capital region number. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long distance line. That's one 4766 There's a reason why the states has had restrictions on travel to Cuba ever since, you know, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And they haven't lifted them. But our leaders, I mean, Canadians are so easily fooled, you know. And they think, you know, let's, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. John, you sound awfully judgmental. You sound awfully, you know, and I've even been accused of being hateful, you know, for somebody who calls himself a man of God. Well, first of all, I don't call myself a man of God, okay? And secondly, the problem is I know what the Bible teaches. The Bible is filled with admonitions to hate evil. Love the sinner, hate the sin. And that's, that's one of the huge missing ingredients of, of, of where, where uh, uh, biblical Christianity is today. And I, you know, the Beatles sang All You Need Is Love, okay? And John Lennon is, the, is a big hero. And, the, and then, you know, uh, and then they broke up. And they couldn't even get along with each other. In fact, I think I might play a tune by them. Remember this? Remember this? Yeah, I may as well. It's my show. I can do this. Remember this tune? Tell me if you remember this tune. Sure you do. Okay, now I like the Beatles, okay? I'm not going to torture you by like, like you know playing the whole thing through, okay? Because I know you're tuning into the show not to hear music. You can get music on your iPod. You can go anywhere for music. But when you tune into Late Night Council, you don't tune in for the tunes. I know some of you appreciate the tunes. That's kind of cool because I bring tunes on here that nobody's ever heard, and they're kind of cool in that. But I want to make a point here, okay? This is the '60s. Can't buy me love, man. You could almost these use those lyrics in a church song, couldn't you? I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Boy, you could almost think Jesus could have wrote that, right? Okay. Now, same group. Same group. Listen to this. Okay, listen to this. Listen, listen to the lyrics here of, of, of a Beatles tune here. Give me money. What happened to Can't Buy Me Love? Okay. 
Your loving gives me a thrill, but your loving don't pay my bills. Give me money. That's what I want. And we've pretty much bought that, haven't we? Oh, my goodness, have we ever. I, I just wanted to show you the hypocrisy of the world, okay? Want to have some more fun on this theme here tonight? I'm, uh, let me see, let me look at my watch here. It's July the 16th, so 15, I'm 18 days away from going on vacation, okay? And we will play best of shows in this time slot while I'm gone. I will pick the best shows we've done since February, and they'll be awesome. Maybe even parts of shows to put it all together, and it's going to be great, okay? You're not going to miss me at all, okay? And and uh, uh, so 18 days away from going on vacation. And when I go on vacation, I go to see my son. My son... And I've talked about him a lot because I love him and I'm very proud of him. Uh, Mitch works uh, for Disney down in California. And uh, I get to go into Disneyland for free when I go down there, okay? Because he he takes us down. He can take four of us at any given time into Disneyland for free. And I came across this article this week. It's in the L.A. Times. Now, I know most of the people that listen to the show are in the capital region. I get that. I mean, there's people all over. I don't want to, you know, hype it and make you think that I'm some big international person where everybody's listening. Most of the people listen to the show are in the capital region. So some of you, you know, you're asking, hey, we don't care about L.A., John. Why are you bringing this to the show? Well, I want to illustrate a point of how messed up our culture is, okay? And remember, this is coming from somebody who is pretty closely connected with Disneyland, okay, and the whole Disney empire. The city of Anaheim. Okay, the city of Anaheim, that's where Disneyland is on the on the West Coast. Of course, Disney World is in Florida, but Disneyland is in is in Anaheim, which is on the southern end of, of Los Angeles. Okay, it's part of L.A. County, but it's it's down there. Well, it's in Orange County, actually. It's the bordering county to L.A. County, just south of Los Angeles. It's about it's about oh, about an hour south from where my son lives in, in Burbank, which is right by Hollywood. Okay, the city of Anaheim has taken the bus benches out of the bus stops around Disneyland, okay? And the reason they've done this is to discourage homeless people from sleeping on them, okay? And, of course, all of the homeless organizations, and, and, you know, I work with homeless organizations here in in Ottawa. I mean, our church, we're we're, we're partnered with Capital City Mission, okay? I mean, it's uh, Ottawa Inner City Ministries, uh, the Ottawa Mission, the Shepherds of Good Hope, the Salvation Army, all these wonderful organizations. I've been blessed to be part of them, okay? I know the good work that they do. So those type of organizations, they are furious with the city of Anaheim. Let me give you a little bit of the article here, okay? No more sleeping spot, just concrete, said it's a guy's name here, Ron Jackson, who's a homeless person, said on a sweltering day, this is last week this was written, there were already people claiming the space. The vanishing benches were Anaheim's response to complaints about the homeless population around Disneyland. Public work crews removed 20 benches from bus shelters after callers alerted City Hall to reports of vagrants drinking, defecating, or smoking pot in the neighborhood near the amusement park's entrance. Officials said the situation is part of a larger struggle by Orange County to deal with a rising homeless population. A survey last year placed the number of those without shelter at 15,300 compared with the 12,700 two years earlier. Desperation amid Orange County's riches. Now, the irony of this. Here's the farce, okay? Here's the farce that is our culture. What does Disneyland promote itself as? 
the happiest place on earth. Okay? Oh, come to the happiest place on earth. That's what they're all about. And yet, in the happiest place on earth, they get so many homeless people in and around the place, they got to take the parking benches away so they won't be sleeping on them. What kind of hypocritical, hypocritical farce is that? Do you know how much a one-day pass is now to get into Disneyland? Now, I get in for free because my son works for Disney, okay? Which is I feel kind of sheepish about. 165 bucks U.S. to get in for a one-day pass if you're 10 or over. That's like 210 bucks Canadian for one day. Okay? Oh, it's the happiest place on earth. If you got 210 bucks Canadian... Now, it's not just Disneyland. Along the Santa Ana River near Angel Stadium, which is only like 20 minutes away, well, 10 minutes away, whole communities are marked by blue tarp have sprung up. You know? Kind of like if you know anything about the Depression, they had all these shanty towns, uh, you know, uh, uh, crop up in the Depression. And every major city in the States, they were called, Hooter, they were called Hoovervilles after uh, uh, Hoovervilles, after uh, uh, um, um, uh, Herbert Hoover, the president at the time. Supposed to be utopia. Supposed to be the promise of California, California. They got homeless people everywhere. Hey, get off the streets. It's bad for business. I mean, my goodness. This is the epitome. I mean, the happiest place on earth. The epitome of success. The epitome of happiness. the the, The epitome of, oh, everything's wonderful. Look a little closer. This is the best that our culture has to offer for families to get away from it all. And imagine a wonderful time, the happiest place on earth. And has destitute people all around it. Kind of a farce, isn't it? Kind of weird. Kind of makes you think, hey, what's wrong with this picture here? Something's not right. And, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the denial that goes on. And I'm not, I don't mean to pick on the states. In, in, in fact, I think it's worse in Canada. Because Canada, we are so smug. We think, oh, no, we're progressive. We're so much more, you know, compassionate than everybody else. I think we're the easiest to fool bunch of the world. Now, we've got our good points. I get that, okay? But my goodness, I, when you see uh, right here in Ottawa, if you, if you deal with, you know, anybody that's poor and destitute, we are desperate, desperate, desperate. For drug rehab centers. We've got all kinds of people that are addicted. They can't get help anywhere. And if you think you're going to get affordable housing and you're destitute, and I know it's very complicated. I know there's all sorts of, you know, I I know there's all sorts of uh, 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 complex issues and that our social safety net is turned into a hammock and all kinds of people take advantage of it. Well, the reason why people take advantage of it is because for decades we've thought we don't want to get involved with these people. We just want to throw money at them. And we throw money at them because we don't have the time, you know, to uh, that it takes to to really affect change. And that's why that's why the most most effective organizations, the most effective volunteers for dealing with the homeless, the destitute, and the hurting are Christian organizations. Because you can't pay us enough to do it. We're mandated by Christ to take care of the poor. Okay? So when I hear about my faith being attacked by the same leaders and by the same culture that depends, that depends on followers of Christ to take care of the most hurting in our society, you can understand why I get a little angry. 
I mean, they're shutting down schools. They're making it a crime for me to even quote the Bible, okay? That's going to be a crime sooner, very soon in Canada. It's, the Bible, parts of the Bible is going to be banned as hate literature, okay? But I don't see the gay activists feeding the poor, okay? Nowhere to the degree that Christian organizations are. I don't see gay activists and people praying for same-sex marriage. I have never heard of them building any wells in Africa or hospitals or orphanages where millions of people are being fed and taken care of. I, you know, there might be, you know, the odd exception. And I've never seen any surveys, but I'll bet you, I'll bet you the ratio of Christians that are helping the poor, and I'm talking per capita, not total numbers, okay, per capita. Christians that are helping the poor and trying to make the world a better place for people who can't pay you back. The marginalized, the destitute, okay? I'll bet you the ratio is probably about 20 to 50 to 1. Don't tell me about this freedom of rights stuff. Don't tell me about equal rights. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do, we want you to accept us and we will silence anybody who disagrees with us. And we don't care whether you feed the poor. We don't care whether you know you make a difference in neighborhoods where people are addicted to drugs and they've got no hope. That means nothing to us because our pleasure and our addiction to our sexuality and thrills is more important than anything. It's sacred. At the core of it, at the core of it, the practice of getting off has become religiously sacred to them. You think I'm being too hard? Hey, go back to Romans 1 again. Romans 1, 18 to 32 says the exact same thing, but in a little more biblical language. And it's not King James either. 343700. 4390 is the capital region number. That's 343-700-4390. Then I get accused of being hateful. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sick to death that people who are bound by sin and people who are confused are being sold a bill of goods that only makes their, their issues worse. I've met too many people who have come out of the gay lifestyle. I've met too many people who have found what real life is in Christ. To hold back and think, no, hey, oh, sorry, you know, your whole political correctness, they're selling you a false bill of goods. Suicide rates haven't changed at all. And without a spiritual revolution, I can't see it getting any better, okay? What are you doing about it? I'll tell you what I'm doing about it, okay? I started a church. Well, I didn't start a church. God started it. I never wanted to start a church, but it started, and 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 I thought, okay, if we're going to have a church, we're going to go after the people that nobody wants. We're going to go after and minister to people who can't pay us back. We're going to pick a neighborhood. We're going to pick a neighborhood where just about everybody's living on social assistance, and we're going to love the daylights out of them. Well, that's just easy to swell your numbers. I don't care about swelling numbers. I'm more interested in leading a bunch of people who will love people like that, whether they buy our message or not. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Whether they followed him or not. Now, he had some nasty things to say to the rich. He had some nasty things to say to religious leaders of his time. But poor people, people who couldn't defend themselves, well, he said it better than anybody. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was a stranger. You never welcomed me in. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was in prison. You didn't visit me. You see how we neglect prisons? 
prison reform and building new prisons, you know, that's not a sexy issue. That doesn't get you elected in Canada. Our prisons are hellholes. They are inhumane. We could double the size of our of our of our uh, prison accommodation in Canada, and it still wouldn't be enough to adequately house people who have broken the law. And look at I am not one who's soft on crime. You know that, but those are human beings. Those are individuals. A lot of them can be rehabilitated. Some of them can't. And I totally get it that when you do something wrong, you deserve to be punished. Otherwise, our laws are a farce. But even the worst sinner is made in the image of God, okay? And Jesus is all about second chances, and he gives people second chances. So we got to take care of people. We have to. In fact, my words of hating evil and my words of going against injustice would be pretty hollow. In fact, they would be they would be nothing. If my efforts in our lives as followers of Christ weren't given over to protecting people who cannot protect themselves and giving people a, a giving people a hand up instead of a handout all the time. 343-700-4390 is the capital region number. That's 343-700-4390. 1-844-562-4766 is the long distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. When we come back from the break, and I'm just going to throw this out there now, and some of you know this has been in the news, what version of the Bible do you use? And some of you might know where I'm going with this. What version of the Bible do you use? Now, I use uh, on the broadcast, and, and I preach from the new and international version. That's not my favorite version of the Bible, but it's the version that everybody uses, and it's not bad. It's okay. okay? But if you really want to get deeper into the original meaning of the Greek and uh, the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the New Testament, you, you, the, the, the new international version is not the best version out there, in my opinion. Okay, There's a lot of good versions out there. We're going to talk about, and you might have heard this in the news, okay, the version of the Bible called The Message. You ever heard of that version, The Message? I never liked The Message. I never liked it. I always thought it was too watered down. Well, The Message, the version of the Bible called The Message has been in the news this week, at least in in the whole faith community. And it's, it's, ooh, it's some pretty hot stuff that's going out there. So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to we're going to break for a, a, a commercial break. Okay, we're going to uh, have a commercial break, and uh, uh, you're going to hear from you know the people that are keeping me on the air, and uh, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna uh, put a tune out there. Okay, and it's not a big popular tune, but you know it's kind of it's kind of setting up what we're going to be talking about when we come back about what's happened with the message and the guy who wrote the message. It's not a direct translation; it's a paraphrase. That means it's only one guy that took the Bible and kind of put it into modern language. The guy's name is Eugene Peterson. And he got in some trouble this week. Oh, oh boy. And, and I think de- deservedly so, too. And uh, we'll yak about that when we get back. You're listening to Late Night Council on the Council Communications Network. 343-700-4390. No matter what I talk about, no matter what I bring up, it's still open line, open topic, all the way to 11. 343-700-4390 and 1-844-562-4766. That's the long distance line. Stay with us.
TMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
So you recognize the band? Well, it's 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 uh, the Electric Light Orchestra, ELO, and it's not a big hit. Okay, it's uh, it's called uh, uh, Secret Messages, and you can see why. You know, kind of like the play on words there. Why I wanted to tell you about uh, a version of the Bible that's very very popular, at least in the churches I've been called uh, called the the Message. I've never liked it. Okay. Well, something happened this week. Eugene Peterson, who is now, how old is Eugene now? He's 84. Yeah, he's 84. And up until now, he's been a beloved, you know, Christian pastor leader that wrote this wonderful paraphrase that everybody loves called The Message. And, um, well, not all, things are not all as it seems. There's been a kerfuffle this week, and... Uh, Eugene Peterson, the Presbyterian pastor who wrote the message, has come out in support of gay marriage, saying that he would officiate at a same-sex wedding if asked. Well, there are some evangelicals, when they hear that, they see red. And, and like, a lot of them are, are the heads of, you know, Christian publishing companies that deal, we're talking a billion-dollar industry, okay? Like, the, the, the business of printing Bibles, oh, I got to tell you this story, it just comes to me now. I remember, and I have shared this publicly, I remember being down in Dallas, Texas for a youth pastors conference. There were 600 youth pastors of us there, okay? We're all like in our 20s, maybe some guys in their 30s. So we're, you know, young and eager and, you know, want to change the world for Christ and everything. And uh, I, I, one of the speakers I remember there was David Wilkerson, uh, the author of The Cross and the Switchblade, the founder of Times Square Church, okay, who I have nothing but, you know, great respect for. He's, you know, uh, um, passed on since then. And uh, I remember during our time off, one of the locals said, you know, we're going to take you by the neighborhoods. And I remember taking a picture. I still got a picture of this mansion. And uh, one of the most impressive mansions, they took us into one of the, like a real swanky neighborhood in, in, uh, uh, in Dallas, okay, suburban Dallas. Remember, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt down there. I mean, everybody's saved in Dallas. The, the joke is even the hookers are saved. I mean... Everybody's been, you know, raised, quote, unquote, born again. And they took us to this amazing neighborhood with these, like, palatial mansions. And they slowed down at one and because uh, they said, see that guy there? He's the owner of one of the biggest Bible publishers in the world, okay? And I looked at this house, and this is back in 1983. So this is 34 years ago. Okay? Like houses and mansions have gotten even bigger since then. But back then, this thing had to be at least seven to 8,000 square feet. And the guy that was tooling us around actually knows this guy. He says, see that he's got two kids. And the kids don't have their own bedrooms. They have their own wing. Okay? Circular drive. Had all these at least four or five exotic cars in this circular drive. Including these... I guess the guy had a penchant for these customized cars where they take the body of uh, the chassis of a Cadillac and they put on it like a, 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 a great Gatsby type 30s type roadster. It's three or four of these, you know, and Lamborghinis and everything. And this guy made his millions publishing Bibles. So when I talk about, you know, the Bible industry, the Christian uh, uh, like coal corporation, there's a lot of money there. 
And you hear me make fun of the Catholic Church sometimes, you know, and and how much wealth it has. That's no secret. Hey, listen, the evangelicals, you know, who who kind of like to, you know, pride themselves on, on uh, well, you know, we're pure. Oh, yeah, I wonder sometimes. So they've seen red over this whole Eugene Peterson thing here. The guy that, that put together the message has now come out saying he's got no problem with same-sex marriages. He was asked if he were pastoring today and a same-sex couple in his church asked him to perform the wedding ceremony, would he do it? And he answered yes, okay? In the three New Testament patches that deal explicitly, okay, and, and it, the article here is just reporting this, in the three New Testament patches that deal explicitly with homosexuality, Peterson obscures and conceals the Bible's meaning altogether. And he lists the passages, and I quote them often on this broadcast. Romans 1, 26 to 27. Remember, that's part of the Romans 1, 18 to 32. Okay, that's in there, very clear. 1 Corinthians, 9, 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, and 1 Timothy 1 to 10. It's very, very explicit in the New Testament. It lays out in plain Greek, and if you're translating faithful to the original Greek, it says there's no way around it. It's a sin. Okay, it's a sin. Well, Peterson kind of candy coats it in the message okay and i never really liked the message but now that i'm hearing the what's in it i just i remember picking up and looking at it and think ah, this is frothy you know because i know enough about you know uh, accurate translations of what the bible actually says that you know uh, no i want to know the truth i want to get to the original i don't want somebody's perception of it okay now there's been some reaction and i'll give you a little bit of it sam alberry Sam Albury is a celibate Anglican priest who has same-sex attraction, okay? This guy would identify himself as, well, it's clear. He cited the words of Tim Keller. Now, do you know who Tim Keller is? Tim Keller pastors a huge, uh, wonderful church in Manhattan, okay? He's in his 60s and, you know, just a really humble, good, solid Bible teacher, doesn't get involved in politics, and, and I've talked about Tim Keller. I follow very, very few Christian leaders on Twitter, but Tim Keller is one of the guys I follow. And he quotes Tim Keller, who has written that when Christians abandon their views about the moral wrongness of homosexuality after interacting with wise, loving gays and lesbians, it indicates that their previous views were already defective and not grounded in scriptural teaching. In other words, they got swayed by relationships. Oh, but these people are so nice. Folks, look at, and you can't interpret Scripture without, you know, uh, the, the lenses of, of, it's like a pair of glasses you put on. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's got to affect everything you read in the Bible. But the Bible is still God's word. Let me repeat what Sam Albury said. Now, remember, this is a guy with same-sex attraction. He's an Anglican priest, and he's wise enough and biblical enough to say this. Okay, he quotes Tim Keller. And he said, when Christians abandoned their views about the moral wrongness of homosexuality, after interacting with wise, loving gays and lesbians, it indicates their previous views were already defective and not grounded in scriptural teaching. Okay? Now, this isn't the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, because this came out on July 12th. Well, there was such a... Oh, i got to use my words properly. There was such a poop storm in the Christian publishing realm over this. Because, I mean, the message has sold millions of copies and made Eugene Peterson, as much as you whether like or dislike him, a very, 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 very rich man. Very comfortable, to say the least, okay? He retracted his words. Whoops! Oh, maybe I didn't mean that. I'll quote the article. Eugene Peterson has reversed... This is dated July 13th. 
Eugene Peterson has reversed his new stance affirming gay marriage, saying he was put on the spot and that he really does believe in traditional marriage. To clarify, I affirm a biblical view of marriage, a man to one woman. I affirm a biblical view of everything, Peterson said in a lengthy statement to the Washington Post Thursday. So this is just obscure Christian ghetto stuff here, okay? Major media is covering this stuff, okay? In his latest statement Thursday, Peterson said, but on further reflection and prayer, I would like to retract, you know what he said, that's not something I would do, in other words, performing a same-sex wedding, that's not something I would do out of respect to the congregation, the larger church body, and the historical, the historic biblical Christian view and teaching on marriage. That said, I would still love such a couple as their pastor, they'd be welcome at my table along with everybody else. And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I kinda, I don't know if I'm buying this here. Come on. You know, there's a scripture in, 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 in the Psalms that says, out of the, out of the, uh, 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 out of the abundance of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. Okay. And he said, you know, I would welcome them at my table, you know, and, and I would love them. And, and that's right. You're supposed to love the sinner. But how far do you take that? Because let me give you 1 Corinthians 5, okay? This is 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. He's not talking about people that profess no faith. In verse 11, he says, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. In other words, somebody that's a follower of Christ, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a swindler, a drunkard, or whatever. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it? This is Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 5. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. See, they had an issue in the in the church in Corinth where a guy had a was having a a, a sexual affair with I think it was his mother in law. Okay, and you know they were all love, 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 except everybody. You know, God made me this way, and Paul says, no, that's not right. You know, if they claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, you're supposed to kick the person out. Now, it, it, it does not contradict loving your neighbor as yourself at all, because we're, we are to love the world, whether they love the people in the world, whether they accept our message is not, or not. But if somebody claims to be a follower of Christ, hold it just a second. I know what a follower of Christ looks like. I know what their priorities are. I know how they live. And that's why Jesus got so angry at hypocrites, because he didn't want people going around pretending there was something they're not. How do you know whether you're the authentic thing or not. Well, that's why you got to go to Bible, because that's the only reliable arbitrator. Now, how you handle that truth makes all the difference in the world. You can handle it with love and humility and compassion and grace, but you can't call something that is sin, you can't embrace it as being holy. The Bible doesn't give you that option. In fact, it says to be innocent about, you know, to flee from evil, flee for immorality and it makes clear what immorality is you don't parade it around and celebrate it i mean it's as silly as you know i'm i am a heterosexual oh boy am i ever a heterosexual i was born that way okay but you're not going to catch me joining a parade that's you know celebrating you know my adulterous thoughts you're not going to see me promoting an adulterous lifestyle 
God made God did not make me this way. God made me in his image. Sin, I was born in sin, and it's corrupted what God has made. And that's why, look at if God made me this way, and if I could celebrate sin, then there's no purpose for Jesus to die a horrible, torturous death. If you can go around celebrating sin, saying that God made you that way, then you make a force, a farce out of the cross of Christ. Paul calls it re-crucifying Christ, as a matter of fact. Sin's bad. It's horrible. Jesus taught that it will send you to hell, whether you want to believe in hell or not. Jesus believed in it, warned people of it. I choose to believe him. And to celebrate something that sent him to the cross? What is Christian about that? 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. You notice I didn't take a break at the top of the hour? Did you notice that I just went through? You can do that when you're broadcasting online. You can do that when you're not part of a formal radio station where everything's got to be perfectly timed and cut and dried, man. It's awesome. If I get on a roll, I don't have to be interrupted. It's kind of cool. I think it is. What do you think? 343-700-4390. I got so much stuff to fit in tonight. I'm just looking over everything here. How in the world am I going to fit everything in? I have no idea. You know what I want to talk about? Well, I'm going to play a tune. Okay, I'm going to play a tune. It's really cheesy. It's really corny. But it's going to kind of set up the, the, the next avenue we want to go down. Now, if you want to go down a different avenue, if you want to introduce something new, if I'm not giving enough attention to something you feel I need to give attention, well, that's what the phone numbers are for, okay? 343-700-4390, jc at latenightcouncil.com. It's got to be under six lines. jc at latenightcouncil.com. And you can tweet at me at jwcouncil. You ready for this? Okay. And just hang in here. It kind of sets up what we're going to talk about. This is... This is crying in the chapel. You saw me crying in the chapel. The tears I shed were tears of joy. I know the meaning of content. Just a plain and simple chapel Where all good people go to pray I prayed the Lord that I'll grow stronger As I live from day to day Chapel 
people are of one accord. Yes, we gather in the chapel just to sing and praise the called the Orioles the Orioles the album is called 20 24 tearjerkers <laughs> when I heard it I you know when I first heard it I thought the guy was singing about you know you know his heartbreaking and somebody leaving and he's crying in the chapel because it is but but it's it's actually got a much better message to it doesn't it okay I think it was written in the 50s or something like that three four three seven hundred forty three ninety John where are you going with this well, there's somebody who could have been left crying in the chapel. I want to talk about it, it, it's wedding season right now, okay? We're getting big time into wedding season, and I got a lot of weddings I got to do this summer, okay? Now, remember, I'm a pastor, so I've gone to way more weddings than you have, way more. In fact, there was a time, I would say the first, I've been pastoring for 36 years the first 20 years of my of my of, of pastoring, I hated weddings. I just hated them, okay? The secret is that I don't mind them now because, you know, the people that are getting married, you know, I, I have the pleasure of, of, of ministering to them and seeing them come together. And I've worked with young people and young adults for so long that, you know, a lot of times they, they a great place to meet somebody that's a good, you know, life partner is, is in a church, okay? So I see a lot of couples come together, do a lot of premarital counseling. And I'm proud to say... Now, and I'm not trying to be funny now. I'm proud to say that I've actually prevented two marriages with my premarital counseling. Because the premarital counseling I do, I ask a lot of probing questions, okay? And I force the couple into talking about stuff that they haven't talked about. And sometimes because they haven't talked about things, they realize, whoa, we're not compatible at all. And I'm very proud to say that I've prevented two marriages. You get past my premarital counseling, you're, you're probably going to be okay. The marriage is probably going to be okay. Although I have had married, I have married couples that have gone through premarital counseling and the marriage broke up. But you want to know something? The reason the marriage broke up is because they weren't honest, or one party wasn't honest in the premarital uh, marriage counseling. I get them to fill out a survey, and I tell them, "You fill out these surveys. It's six pages long, really probing, in-depth, personal questions." And I say, "You do not collaborate with one another." 
and you are going to be as honest and as transparent as you know how to be because if you're not transparent, because what happens is I get the results back from your survey, and if you are not being truthful, I am going to be advising you based on what I see of the survey, and if you have not been truthful, you are going to be getting bad advice from me that's going to harm your marriage. And sure enough, there have been some couples that they weren't truthful, and there's been some divorces. Because they weren't truthful. Because I've got the surveys, and I remember what they said. And they were, they were. I guess they were trying to impress me, or trying to put forth an image, or whatever. Okay. But if you're really transparent, you're going like, like I do good premarital counseling. Okay. And I got a lot of, lot of weddings coming up. So, and I was at one. I'm digressing a little bit, but you know, I'm leading up to something. Stay with me. I was at a rehearsal dinner last night, and it was outdoor. It was a barbecue. It was a roast pig. Okay. And because uh, their wedding was today, and and uh, my wife was good friends with the bride, and uh, you know worked with her, and uh, she's not a church going type, so the, you know they planned their wedding during church. So Heather had to skip church to go to the wedding, and uh, uh, but I got to go, and she's a wonderful lady and and uh, a nice guy. I got to go to the rehearsal dinner last night, and they had roast pig, and we ate, and then then best rehearsal dinner I think I've ever been to. You know why? Because it was outdoor. And we played bocce ball. Do you know what bocce ball is? Oh, look it up on the internet. B-O-C-C-I, ball. I remember watching, and I don't know if they were Italians, Lebanese, or Greek, but there were some uh, Mediterranean guys, and they were all in their 60s and 70s. I was a little boy in Montreal. And in, I think it was an Italian neighborhood. They had about four or five of these, like, courts or alleys where these old guys would, would you know, they'd smoke and they'd drink and, and they'd play bocce ball. And then they, they, they'd gamble and they'd bet on their games. And they got so emotional that it was a show just to watch these guys play bocce ball. That was my introduction to bocce ball. But I'd never played it. Well, the bride and the groom, they had a set of bocce ball. I guess you can get these bocce ball sets at, at Canadian Tire. And I played bocce. Oh, it was a blast. Had so much fun. Okay? So yeah, you, not all, you know, wedding things are, are boring. And and I got to, I told you in the, in the first uh, part of this little spiel here, in the first 20 years I was, I was pastoring, I got to hate weddings. My first year pastoring, I had to be, I was either officiating or I had to be at 13 weddings in one summer. I heard every drunken uncle speech you could imagine. I heard every dumb, you know, attempt at keeping people's attention at, you know, a, a, a wedding reception. And that was when the, the song You Light Up My Life was popular. And, and uh, oh, no, it was Endless Love. Endless Love. Yeah, it was from the movie Blue Lagoon. I heard about a, a half a dozen of the most lame karaoke-inspired butchered versions of Endless Love. I actually, I actually could lip-sync along by the end of the summer. It just it got, and, and I'll tell you why. If I have to choose between a wedding and a funeral, I take a funeral any day of the week, even now, because at funerals, nobody cares what they look like. Everybody is so grieving. Everybody is so brokenhearted that you see real people. You see them with, for what they really are. When you go to a wedding, everybody's got a face on. Everybody looks perfect. Everything's superficial, and oh, everybody's so happy, happy, happy. And I've ta- I've actually talked to brides and groups whose faces are sore from smiling so much because of the pictures that have to be taken. Everything's just perfect. Perfect and wonderful, and and the way I see the bridal industry take advantage of immature, starry-eyed, you know, young ladies who, you know, and you should see that. Go to the go to Chapters Indigo or your typical magazine stand, and go take a look at some of those bride magazines. How thick they are. 
there is that's a billion multi-billion dollar industry where they convince these you know naive young ladies well you know if you don't have this perfect dress then you don't have a proper wedding if you don't have to if you're not spending twenty thirty forty thousand dollars well you just you're just not doing it right you don't really care these the people the bridal owners they could care less about these kids marriages okay they're out to make money because weddings is a big and and when I when I did you know my radio shows on CFRA I would often have wedding experts that would come in that teach people how to have a fantastic memorable wedding and it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg like for instance the couple that I was part of last night they're more mature they're in their like late twenties early thirties they're getting married here we are playing bocce ball having a blast well, how much is a bocce ball set sixty five you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money to have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful celebration. That's the point I'm making. OK, now, why am I telling you all this? Because of this amazing story that came out of Indianapolis this week. OK, this is dated. This is yesterday. This hit the Associated Press yesterday. I don't know if any Canadian newspapers carried this, but I saw this online. I thought, oh, man, I'm bringing this to the show. This is awesome. OK, if you already heard this, you know what's coming. I love this. OK, Indianapolis. An Indiana woman who called off her $30,000 wedding, okay, thirty grand. Now, that's U.S. now, so Canadian money, what is that? That's $100,000. I don't know. $30,000 wedding is throwing a party for the homeless at the swanky event center she had booked for the reception. Sarah Cummins told the Indianapolis Star she called off the wedding scheduled for Saturday a week ago, but declined to give a reason. Okay, something happened. Okay, whatever. She was left with a non-refundable contract for the Ritz Charles in Carmel and a plated dinner for 170 guests. Cummins says she decided that rather than throw away the food, she would bring some purpose to the event and contacted area homeless shelters. Two, this is, I just love this, two buses are transporting shelter residents and families to the event to dine on bourbon-glazed meatballs, goat cheese, and roasted garlic bruschetta, chicken breast with artichokes, and Chardonnay cream sauce, and wedding cake. Is that not perfect? That's got to be one of the best wedding stories I've ever heard. It's awesome. 30 grand. Now, you, I know everybody wants to know what happened, what happened, what happened. You know, who paid for it? What about her dad? Because usually the dad pays for it. You know, well, hey, she's, hey, she's been able to pull it off. What a great idea. I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen to somebody. I mean, oh, I could tell you some stories of, uh, and I remember telling this one once, the, and I won't mention any names because I know that uh, uh, there are people involved in this wedding in this in the city where I was pastoring, they listened to this show and they you know they messaged me on Facebook. Saturday morning, I'm going to do the wedding, okay? And uh, the groom shows up at my door Saturday morning, nine o'clock. John, I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? I can't do it. I can't follow through. He said, "Could you tell her?" I said, "There's no way. I'm not going to tell her. I, no way. Be a man. You get over to the hairdresser right now to get your hair ready, and you tell her, okay?" So the guy went over and told her, and they had been engaged for a good three, four months. I don't know, six months. And I don't think I ever saw the guy in church again. But the but the bride-to-be, the bride-to-be was the piano player in, in, one of, in one of our large churches where my dad and I pastored, okay? 
And we would run about a thousand on Sunday morning. And she was a strikingly good looking girl. She had blonde hair. She really stood out in the crowd. Okay. And we had a custom back there. This is the, this is the middle eighties. We had a custom there that the church bulletins, you know, like the programs you print up for a church. Whenever there's a wedding in the church, the bulletins were printed up on Thursday. Okay. So in the bulletin, we would offer a congratulatory message to the bride and groom that got married on Saturday. Okay. And, of course, their names were in there. We'd like to congratulate so-and-so-and-so on their lovely wedding yesterday, blah, 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 blah. And we thought nothing of it. You know, we'd explain what happened. Well, lo and behold, if she doesn't show up to play the piano, I mean, her wedding got called off the day before, and she shows up to play the piano. Well, she's inundated with people coming up. What are you doing here? I thought you were honeymooning. I know, and you're crying and everything. And just, oh, my goodness. Now, I don't know if, you know, if they booked a, a, a hall or anything back then, because I, I was never at the re- the wedding, didn't happen. So I, I you know, kind of got the day off. Be the equivalent of, the, of her saying, you know what, I'm sucking it up, and I'm gonna, you know, get all the people from the Salvation Army shuttle uh, 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 shelter, and let's have a party. Gotta love Sarah Cummins, my goodness. And I think, yeah, you could find that on the news. Just type in Sarah Cummins. It's like Cummins diesel engine and Sarah's typical at Indianapolis, you know, the wedding thing. And it's and there's more to that story than than I'm just, you know, sharing here. But uh, that's the I guess the Reader's Digest version of it there. Three, four, three, seven hundred forty three ninety is the capital region number. I told you, folks, it's open line, open topic. Three, four, three, seven hundred forty three ninety one eight four four five six two four seven six six. That's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. JC at LateNightCouncil.com is the email address. Keep it under six lines. I still got a ton of stuff to talk about. Man, can I fit it in the next 40 minutes? I don't know. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. You can tweet at me at JWCouncil. I don't know if I'm going to play a tune for you or play a commercial. or We'll see. You know, just hang in there. Kind of cool. I, I, I would think, you know, if I was listening to this broadcast, it would be a breath of fresh air. Because if you listen to standard radio, you know when all the news breaks come, you know when the, you know when the, when the commercials come, and it's same old, same old. Boy, that's the last thing we want on this broadcast is same old, same old. And you're still listening, so that's kind of cool. I guess you're somewhat convinced. Right back in a few minutes. I don't know. We'll see. I will be back, though. I promise you. Stay with us.
That's uh, the Reverend James Brown. That's <laughs> James Brown doing probably the, the best impression you're going to hear of a, of, a, of a hot black preacher that, that, who is not a preacher that probably anybody's ever done. Of course, that's from, the, that's from the Blues Brothers soundtrack. If you've never seen that movie, it's worth watching the movie just for that one scene there. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of weddings, speaking of marriage, talking a lot about it tonight. Let's talk about married priests. Oh, that's that's always a fun topic, isn't it? I mean, I pushed that for decades. You know, yeah, all my and some of the godless, most Christ-like people I know are Roman Catholics. Okay, I love Roman Catholics, but I got a bone to pick with you. I mean, why do you do that to your priests? Why do you insist on them being celibate? I mean, for crying out loud, for the first thousand years of the of the church, it was okay, you know, for your priest to marry. And I know why you brought in celibacy. It had nothing to do with the Bible. It had nothing to do with, you know, a, a pleasing God, okay? When priests would die, they would leave the property, which was often church property, to their spouses. The Catholic Church said, oh, we can't have that anymore. We've got to retain the rights to the property. So they started, you know, having a celibate priesthood. That's the real reason right there. And I've heard the kerfuffle and all the other religiosity. And, you know, they've tried to, you know, candy coat it with some, like, an edict from God. I don't, I'm not buying that, okay? It was purely for economic reasons. Well, hey. I got a Roman Catholic ally that believes the way I do. And it's not just, you know, it's not just anybody. Okay? The man who leads, listen to this, the man who leads the largest Roman Catholic church in America is advocating that the church allow married men to become priests and plans to spend his retirement ministering amongst the poorest of the poor. Now, as soon as I hear the guy wants to spend his retirement ministering to the poorest of the poor, he's got my attention. This guy's not trying to be sensational. Monsignor John McSweeney, 75 years old, who was originally from New York, is concluding 43 years of ministry in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he has most recently served as priest at St. Matthew in Ballantyne, an affluent suburb of the state's most populous city. St. Matthew's Catholic Church is the largest Roman Catholic parish in the United States, which boasts of over 10,000 families, according to the Charlotte Observer last Sunday. Much like Pope Francis, McSweeney said he desires a church that is more oriented towards hospitality and less about judgment. Charlotte, which reportedly has a burgeoning population of Roman Catholics, faces a shortage of priests in their diocese. And to address this, McSweeney said he favors the church allowing priests to be married, mentioning that he has been around. Oh, I love this. Okay, This guy just might be my favorite Catholic priest now. Mentioning that he has been around many Protestant pastors who are married and doing great work, as he says. And many men... And many men, as many men that were in the Catholic seminary, this would be great. It would be great priest today except for one thing, McSweeney said. That one thing is the desire to be married. For the first 1,000 years of Catholicism, celibacy for priest was optional. In March, Pope Francis expressed openness to the idea. Hey, hang in there, my Catholic brothers, okay? You might, you might score a wife before it's over here. I've had the privilege, he's, the article's quoting McSweeney here, 
I've had the privilege of being in many different roles in ministry, but I think I need now to experience, listen to this. I love this. This, I just love this guy. Listen, I've had the privilege of being in many different roles in ministry, but I think I need now to experience poverty. McSweeney said, who intends to spend the years of his retirement in a place like Haiti or Jamaica, ministering among some of the most destitute people on earth. I'm going to try to walk in the sandals of the Lord, McSweeney said. I have a little motto. You never say no to Jesus. And he keeps talking to me. McSweeney will preach his farewell sermon. Oh, I guess he preached it today in St. Matthew. I think that would be so good. Don't you think? Come on. Get biblical. I mean, the Bible lays out qualifications. I mean, listen, try to justify the celibacy of the priesthood. I'm going to give you some scriptures here. Now, the Bible I'm reading here, this is what Roman Catholic. and I don't mean to pick on Roman Catholics. I just, I want you to be free. I want you to be biblical. I want you to know the joy of Jesus, okay? Your Savior. He said the thief, Jesus said, Jesus was the one that said, the thief comes to steal and kill and rob, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Well, what is life to the full? Well, read your Bible. It tells you pretty explicitly. Okay? How can you justify celibacy uh, celibacy of the priesthood when the Bible, the word of God, now remember, Roman Catholics call it the word of God, okay? This is what it says, Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Not if you're a priest. Well, that's somebody said that, but the Bible never said that. Matthew 18.19, okay? Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, okay? I mean... There's agreement when you have, uh, you know, a, a, a leader who's married. Okay, it's pretty powerful. Don't. This is Paul talking. Paul, the second most powerful leader, the guy who wrote half, more than half the New Testament. Okay, Saint Paul, if you want me to give him the title that you know Roman Catholics like to refer to him with. Don't we have a right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Cephas was Peter, okay? They're all married. 1 Timothy 3.2. 1 Timothy 3.2 lays out qualifications for a bishop. Now, remember, a bishop is higher up the hierarchy than a priest is. Now, the overseer. It uses the word overseer, but the Greek word is the same word we use for bishop, Okay. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And then look what it says in 1 Timothy 3, 5. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? It's referring to the context. He's referring to his kids. Come on now. Get biblical. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Oh, man. I can say amen to that. Big time. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. Now, I'm going to play another tune for you. I'm playing a lot of tunes tonight, and I'm not apologizing because these are good tunes. You don't get to hear these all the time, okay? We're going down to New Orleans. I'm going to tell you a story about New Orleans tonight, okay? 
And Mike, I see your email there. It's going to get on the air as well. In fact, let's read it right now before we go to New Orleans because I like Mike's letter. Mike's probably my favorite caller, favorite emailer. I read a variety of translations. He's talking about the message in Eugene Peterson, okay, and the kerfuffle that happened this week here, if you're just tuning in. I read a variety of translations, especially when I want to examine a particular text to help me get a better understanding of the point that is trying to be made. I also highly recommend the Geneva Bible, which predates King James. Not the easiest read, but it is a study Bible with a ton of notes from the early reformers that offer much greater insight into the text. Sometimes the Old English itself offers insights, too. Bible Gateway has Geneva, which I use for reference every day. He's referring to a, a, an online Bible study uh, uh, a site called Bible Gateway, and I've just discovered one, too, and I don't think I've even ta- told you about this, uh, Mike, and, and it's the one I'm using all the time now. It's called Bible Hub, okay? Bible Hub. I'm looking at it on my computer right now just to get the exact uh, website. It's called BibleHub.com, and it's it's got every version you would want, Okay. Just at your fingertips. You can look up any scripture, anytime you want, any version you want. And uh, a lot of people say, well, with all the different versions, how do you know which one's the right one? Well, these versions have been coming out for you know hundreds of years. And, and some of the newer versions that come out, they're not retranslations of the Bible. There's older manuscripts that are being found by archaeological digs all the time. And when they find an older manuscript in the original Hebrew or the original Greek, sometimes it, it behooves them to adjust up to update translations because there are older manuscripts. And you see, that's the beauty of, of, of following Christ and, 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 and having the Bible as your, as, your, as your primary governing force. We're always trying to get to the original meaning. If you're an authentic follower of Christ, you're trying to get to the original intent and the original meaning of Scripture. You're not candy-coating it. You're not compromising it. You're not, you know, adjusting it for your lifestyle or to the whims of whatever, you know, political correctness says is good or bad. Authentic Christianity, we have one example for our lifestyle. That's Jesus Christ. We have one example for what the church is supposed to be. That's the book of Acts. As far as where we put our priorities in our families, and our workplaces, how we spend our money, how we conduct our lives, how we do our business— that's what the Bible's there for. And the more we understand the original intent, the more we understand the culture, the more we understand its meaning. And it applies powerfully, and it, it does its, it works its magic in our lives. Thank you, Mike. Always got good emails from you, buddy. You always do a good job. 343-700-4390. If you want to call in and be a part of it tonight and take the show maybe in another direction, I don't know. 343-700-4390. One eight four four five six two four seven six six is the long distance line. That's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. Now, I told you I got a story that comes out of New Orleans, a story that I never thought I'd be bringing to the air, and uh, actually a part of my past when I was a teenager. How does New Orleans and, te- and my teenage years come together? Well, you're going to find out. Okay, it's quite a fascinating story. It's about a guy who died this week. A high-profile preacher who was based in New Orleans, and uh, we've got a caller that's online right now, and they're going to get on the air. We're going to go to the caller before we go to the story, but I'm going to take just a short break right now, and I want to play you. I want to play you a tune from my favorite band from New Orleans. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but I saw them open up for Jeff Beck at uh, Ontario Place about, oh, it would have been 14 years ago. And my buddy Tim Meisenheimer, who's the who's the head of Capital City Mission, was with me that night, okay? And my brother, I think, was with me, and uh, maybe my son. 
And uh, we went, we drove down to Toronto to see Jeff Beck, and I had never heard of Galactic before. But, man, I heard these guys play, and I've been in love with them ever since. They were they were scheduled to come to Blues Fest, and I got tickets. I got free. I got somehow I got passes to see them when they came to Blues Fest because that night Joe Satriani was playing, who's one of my favorite guitarists of all time, and Cheap Trick. I'd never seen Cheap Trick. Okay, Cheap Trick was the first band. Then we were going to see Joe Satriani. Then we we're going to top that out. But I really wanted to see Galactic because they're amazing. Well, I never got to see Joe Satriani. I never got to see Cheap Trick. Uh, I mean, I got to see Cheap Trick, but I never got to see Galactic. Because Cheap Trick got 15 minutes into their set when a tornado came into Blues Fest. Yeah, remember when that happened? Yeah, I was 10 feet from the stage when it happened. Tore the stage up, and I'm broadcasting live from my my Palm phone on CFRA. And we thought we thought for sure you know people had gotten killed because there was all kinds of people on the stage. And the stage was just ripped apart by the tornado. It was spectacular. But I want to, I want, we're going to, I got a story about New Orleans. I'll go take a break and I want you to enjoy. And if you don't enjoy this band, there's something wrong with you. We're right back in a few minutes. This is Galactic. The song's called Black Eyed Pea.
Who needs lyrics? Nothing can mess up a song faster than lyrics. That's galactic. Check them out on uh, on on YouTube. Oh, what a great band. You know, they don't put on much of a show, but they're unbelievable musicians. Now, I'm pretty sure Mike is waiting on hold there. And Mike, I don't mean to pull a fast one on you, but I want to give you the time that you deserve. I want to get this story out here that I just mentioned about what's going on in New Orleans. So I want to deal with that first. Then, Mike, then when, when, when you come on the air, you're probably going to be with me because I know how good a caller you are. You're probably going to be with me till the end of the show, okay? And and I, But just bear with me here, okay? Bob Harrington has died. Now, who's Bob Harrington? Not a lot of you will know who Bob Harrington was. Bob Harrington was one of the most high-profile and, oh, sensational evangelists in North America prior to the whole PTL 700 Club Jimmy Swagger thing. He was big as far back as the late 60s and the 70s, okay? He was called the Chaplain of Bourbon Street, okay? He came to Christ when he was 30 years old. He was a drunk, and he became a preacher, and he was really funny. And uh, there were some people that said that this guy was his, next to Billy Graham. He was probably the most popular evangelist in, in, in North America in uh, uh, the late 60s and the mid-70s. And my connection, my father, you know, who I, I started pastoring under my dad, and, and he pastored pretty large churches he had Bob Harrington come in and preach at our church in St. Catharines. Of course, the place was packed. I mean, he just, I think we probably, back then, I think our auditorium sat about, uh, oh, maybe a thousand people. And I mean, it was standing room only for this guy. He was just like, we probably had maybe 13, 1400 people there that, that night. And that was like, uh, um, that was in the 70s. Really, really funny to the point where he would he had all sorts of albums, sold all kinds, sold kinds of albums. He was on TV, and he would often he would often stage debates. Him versus Madeline Murray O'Hare. Does that name sound familiar to you? Madeline Murray O'Hare was the lady who got prayer out of the schools in the United States in 1962. Okay. I mean, the highest profile atheist in North America until, uh, you know, her uh, untimely and very violent death that, that you know, they still in, uh, have not. I don't think they've come to the conclusion of uh, she was murdered. OK, and uh, he would stage these debates. Now, something happened to Bob Harrington. He was so successful that he started having affairs on his wife and he got exposed and he lost everything. He was 89 years old. He died this week, and 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 look, and I remember the guy vividly. I remember laughing myself silly because he was a real, real funny preacher. And this is Bob Harrington being quoted because even though he fell from grace and 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 you know lost everything because of his hypocrisy, he actually finished pretty well. Okay, this is Bob Harrington quoted in the article. I had fame, but when you get famous, you start thinking, look at what I'm doing. After I got saved, I grew too fast. I didn't have a good, stable foundation. It's nobody's fault but mine. But when you get invitations to come give your testimony, you start adding more dates to it, he explained. I was so caught up in being an evangelist, money gets to flowing, and you find yourself riding in a big customized bus. You find yourself flying in a Learjet, and you find your staff members picking up your briefcases. Unless you've got a solid base, you can really fall into this. I started believing all my cockiness and all my press releases, and all, and that precedes the fall, he said. 
Fame did that and finance. You get money into your hand. And you're the president and the treasurer. Signatures are pretty easy to come by. The folks were just giving and giving. He further noted that the women who became his temptation weren't the women of the world, but women inside the church. Frolic. After a while, you got those Bathshebas, Delilahs, and Jezebels out there in the church world, not the Bourbon Street world. That kind of temptation didn't bother me because I knew they were notoriously wicked. But these were sweet little old church members. They start telling you how nice you are and how neat you are and how big and strong you are. Your wife isn't telling you that anymore because she knows what you're turning into. He said, all those things, fame, finance, and frolic led me to catch a pass that Satan threw at the peak of my success. Harrington lost his family and caused significant pain as his life spiraled out of control because of some horrible choices. His son-in-law is telling the story here. I had to confront him. This is his son-in-law talking. I had to confront him about those choices. Devastating does not begin to describe the experience in those days, especially when he looked me in the eyes and chose rebellion and sin over repentance. He blew up our family. He lost his ministry. He became completely different. a completely different man. Really sad. And I remember when he hit the skids, and, and, and it was embarrassing, you know, to even know that, you know, hey, this guy preached in our church, you know, and he's nothing but a hypocrite, a great communicator. Well, he got his butt kicked real well, you know, and it reminds me of, you know, a scripture that you never hear. And I mentioned the scripture, I think, a couple weeks ago. You never hear these big prosperity teachers preach this scripture here. It's in Psalm 119. There's two of them. Okay. Psalm 119, 71 says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. And then Psalm 119, 75, I know, Lord that your laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. What happened to Bob Harrington? God kicked his butt, okay? And he lost everything. And this is what he said a few months before he died, because he he, 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 he went through a whole restoration process where he got his life back together, and he repented, and he made restitution as best he could, you know, with his ex-wife, and, 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 and did his best. And he started a small ministry down in Louisiana. No big flash stuff. And this is what he said about a year before he died. I'm closer to the Lord than I've ever been. I didn't even know that you could be as saved as I am right now. I never knew that joy could be as clean and pure and holy it is right now because I never preached on holiness or righteousness. I've learned that I've got to walk daily with the Lord. So he finished well, not by the world standards or success standards or wealth standards, but as far as a pure heart, I think the guy might have, he might have made it. Bob Harrington, look about, boy, if there's any video of him, and I haven't gone looking for it yet, but if there's any video recordings of him online, you listen to stuff. He was as funny as anything. Real, real. I mean, he's a consummate entertainer. Is this Mike? It is. How you doing, buddy? Not too bad. Yeah, that's a powerful story. I'm glad you got that in. Cause, uh, Had you ever heard of him? It, it, um, I've, I'm pretty sure I've heard you mention him before. The chaplain um, of Bourbon I, Street. I, I recognize the story. Yeah. Yeah, he really messed um, up his life. I mean, this guy was hauling in. You know, he was speaking to auditoriums of 20,000 people. I mean, he, this guy was like a rock star, you know, because he was so funny. He would tell stories of, like, you know, like him. And he was, literally, they called him the chaplain of Bourbon Street. He started out as being the chaplain of Bourbon Street and winning hookers and drunks and, you know, jazz musicians. Everybody knew him in New Orleans. Everybody. He was a hero. He helping the poor, helping the homeless. And he got sharing his story worldwide, and the money came in, and he, he couldn't handle the temptation. You know, he fell. 
Yeah, I, I think that's uh, – oh, and, and, and I don't follow Jim Baker anymore, but I do – it does seem to me I've heard that he has really changed who he is, and he's uh, more closely connected. Hello? Yeah, it seems as though, you know, oh. when these guys fall, what you know what tends to be their salvation? When they go after the poor. You know, when they go out out of their way to try and help poor people and destitute and preach the gospel to people that they know are not going to pay back. It seems as though that God's in that in a powerful, powerful way. And it tends to, and again, this is my opinion, but it, it, it seems like that's what saves them, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's that being humbled. And, and again, if you humble yourself, I, I believe you read that earlier, uh, if you humble yourself, the Lord will hear from you and, and heal your land. And there's something about you need to uh, you need to be humble in spirit in order for that transformation to even enter into you because pride will keep it out. It's not just that God hates the pride, yeah. but the, the pride literally blocks it out. It's like, well, I don't need it. I think this is one of the reasons why the Bible often talks about it being harder for a rich man. It's not necessarily saying it's bad to be blessed or rich. I think it's what the problem is, is that when you get that way or when you are blessed, it's very easy to start taking things for granted. It's very easy to get very comfortable, well, very lazy, and I um, very on... proud. I don't need, I don't need to humble myself. I'm quite, I'm quite. Uh, uh, actually, in that last um, church in Revelation, that is why I think it's the Laodicea one. Laodicea, yeah. Uh, you're neither hot nor cold, and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He then goes on to say, "You think you are rich, but you have no idea." Yeah how poor you are. So in other words, they think that they're blessed, they think they're walking on air, they're everything I'm doing, I'm saving people, I'm bringing people to God, I'm, I'm, I am the guy. And the whole time they have no clue that they have no relationship with the Lord, and he's trying to get their attention, to war, like he's warning them. You think you're rich, but you're not. It's a lot less painful. To me, that means we, you think you're rich with me. It's a lot less painful if you humble yourself than if he has to humble you. Yeah, and then definitely you don't want God to humble you, because he will humble you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was interested in this uh, discussion about uh, the languages and, and translations, and I, yeah, I, did, I actually have uh, I've used uh, Bible Hub for some time. Um, Geneva, though, I, I for whatever reason, Bible Hub doesn't have Geneva. Okay, um, see, I've only been Gateway using Bible Hub. I've only been using Bible Hub for the last oh maybe month or two. Okay, and it, it's kind of nice. I'm getting used to it. But but Bible Gateway, you can't go wrong with Bible Gateway. That's a great great site too. BibleGateway.com, kids, if you want to look it up. What's really great about them is, especially when I'm reading my text, um, there's times where I'll go through a number of translations. Just on that one body of text, or maybe a chapter or something, just to really come at it from different angles to see if I'm grabbing yeah, what yeah. it is they're what it is they're saying. That helps me. Um, but I, I've also kind of come to realize that, and this is, I'm not saying that the language or the words or the choice of words doesn't matter. Of course, it matters. But I'm I'm also seeing that how much more. Uh, it's less about the words on the page. It's more about what's in your heart. It's what, it, what you're searching for and what God's prepared to reveal to you. Because I think God is who gives us the ability to understand or see. He's the one that opens your eyes. So as you're reading whatever imperfect language you're reading from, God transcends that anyways. And, and if there's something there for you to see... 
you're going to see it when God reveals it to you. And I, I think this is why people who study the Bible their entire lives will be reading the Bible and still something will pop out at them, a revelation. They've read it, I don't know how many times, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, this, whoa. And, and they're suddenly seeing something for the first time that they never saw before. Because I think that's just how rich and how deep God's Word is. It goes so much beyond just the, the words written on a page. The, the words written on the page are, are there using the physical world around us to help us see something that is not seeable. It's helping us see the unseen world. So it's like using, I'm not saying the Bible is fables, but it's, it's the reason we use fables to teach children, because you, you, you run them through a story, and in the story is the lesson. So it's, it's not about the, the boy who cried wolves. It's not about boys. It's not about wolves. It's about the idea that it's helping you see. And I think that's what the Bible is doing. So the perfect Word of God is less about the words on the page, and it's more about what it's helping you see about how the world works, about how God created us to be. The Bible is the only book that reads you. Mm -hmm. Do you get that? Yep. And it it, it describes itself as living. It describes itself as being alive it's described as the living word it's not just and i you know this is kind of trite and kind of goofy but i I don't apologize for this illustration i have this mental image okay that again my bible i'm looking at it right now okay and i always have a good bible i like a good leather bound expensive bible because i wear them out if i don't get a high quality bible it's going to fall apart in three years and i want to get four five six years out of it okay i read it more than any all, all my other books combined okay but i get this mental image that whenever i open up the bible it's like this 10,000 voice choir is encompassed all around me and they all sing they all sing together you know something familiar that you know we've played on this broadcast a lot okay we hear this That's what I get right there okay That's what yeah. I get I feel yeah. like every time I crack it open it's not just a book yeah I think I'll knock off a few chapters I've never felt that I feel as soon as I open that bible it's not like any other book It is a lot And I know you don't it mean it with me. the words but just to be to be clear, when we say that the word is alive, because a lot of people will say that uh, you know, living constitution or something like this, they they want to believe that that it's constantly evolving, morphing, growing. When they say living, but when we're talking about the word is the living word of God, we're not. God never changes. Well, it's the source of life. Exactly. It's not. It's, it's alive got nothing is, to do. Well, if something's perfect, it doesn't need to evolve. Well, no, and and God is order, not chaos. God God is not paradox. Um, the more I the more I see, uh, uh, the more I read, and the more I'm able to see, the more that is revealed to me. The the more I see the the consistency of the word. There is really very little, if any, that I've seen in the New Testament that is not present in the Old Testament. It, every principle is there because God does not change. God may have changed certain procedures. He may have, he, you know, he's renewed his covenant with us many times, but his principles have never changed. The way he created us, the way, and, you know, just tonight we were, we were given a wonderful message from uh, my online church, and uh, he was 
making notes on Job that, quite frankly, I hadn't seen before, but they were pretty profound. Again, the, the consistency, it's not so much that you're reading into the text. What you notice is, is that the themes are consistent all the time. It's always true. If, if, it's, if it's really something true, if you've grabbed onto a true concept, you're going to see that truth keep showing up chapter after chapter, whether it's New or Old Testament. And, and I do find that that's exactly the case. Hey, Mike, speaking of your online church, my messages at Christ Church, they're starting to post them at ChristChurchOttawa.com. So, yeah, actually, I've been catching some of them. Okay, cause, okay so I, I want you to critique them and email me and, and, and tell me whether I'm hitting the ball or not. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ChristChurchOttawa.com, folks. If you like a more formal type sermon type thing, uh, my messages are posted on there. If you're more like the talk radio thing, you like the give and the take and the interaction, well, we, we want to be your, you know, your full service broadcaster. Thanks, Mike. You're awesome, dude. Thanks. Thanks for Thanks. calling in. Mike's one of my best callers. Mike had a lot to do with you know setting up the whole studio here and getting me launched here because I don't know I don't know I don't have a technical bone in my body. While he's talking though, and I'm going to end the program with this with this scripture here. This is Hebrews four twelve. Okay, and you know a foundational principle of this show ever since I've been on the air when I was doing Ask the Pastor in Windsor and in St. Catharines and out in you know Manitoba for you know twenty years before I ever moved to Ottawa, it was always. You know, the biblical perspective. Why is the Bible so? Well, look what the Bible says of itself in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Whoa. That's either true or it's pretty pretentious, isn't it? Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's been good to have you. You know, and you know if you wanna if you wanna get a podcast and if you wanna listen to the show again, you can. Uh, this show will probably be posted oh sometime tomorrow morning. Uh, but every show we've done is on LateNightCouncil.com, as well as Nick at Night, his shows as well. And uh, the sermons I do every Sunday morning at the new church we started called Christ Church here in Ottawa. You go to ChristChurchOttawa.com. And uh, th- today's message will be posted probably, yeah, probably tomorrow too. But there's three messages up there already. Have a decent week. We're back at it next week. Take care.